Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! Wild card weekend is in the books, and that means we are one week closer to the end of the 2017 season and one week closer to the portion of the season that, let's be honest, if you're a Dolphins fan, has been the more enjoyable portion of the year than the actual season itself for the last 17 years. We're talking, of course, about the offseason. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, January the 8th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I am joined by Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report, and we're going to get a primer for the Dolphins' 2018 offseason. Also, we'll talk about Miami's impending free agents, a potential shift in the defensive scheme, what the Dolphins should do at quarterback with Ryan Tannehill, the only player under contract at the position, and much, much more. But first, I have to remind you guys to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfulNFL. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Right now, the exit interview series is about halfway finished. We'll have the defensive ends out for you today, defensive tackles tomorrow, and the rest of the defense, the rest of the week. The offense is all already up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And of course, check out the other Lockdown Sports podcasts like the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And let's not waste any more time. Just go ahead and get to the interview I had with Bleacher Report's Ian Wharton here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And joining us now is Bleacher Report's Ian Wharton. He's at NFL Film Study on Twitter. Ian, how's it going tonight, man? Uh, Things are well, man. We're through the first round of the playoffs, so things are just amplifying here as we get closer to the Super Bowl and obviously for what we're going to be discussing we're closer to the offseason. Yeah, the part of the season that usually for Dolphins fans is a little bit more exciting. I guess you can't get let down as bad unless uh, they don't draft Ruben Foster and you decide to punch a door. That's kind of one way I guess you can go. But uh, yeah, we're only seven games left in the season now, which is kind of depressing. But like I said, as a Dolphins fan, with uh, everything the way everything went down this year, I guess kind of also exciting for us. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it, Ian. And I, I kind of teased at the top of the show I wanted to talk about with you. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about was the Dolphins' impending free agents. And there's a decent little list. I don't know that you would cl- if you would classify any of these guys as really that important besides obviously one guy, but I want to get your thoughts on these guys. Let's just go over it real quick. Quarterbacks are Jay Cutler, Matt Moore, David Fells. Running back, Damian Williams. Wide receiver, Jarvis Landry. Offensive linemen are Jermon Bushrod and Sam Young. Tight end, Anthony Fasano. Defensive ends, William Hayes, Terrence Fide. Linebacker, Koa Misi. Cornerback, Alteron Werner. And then safeties, Nate Allen, Michael Thomas, and Walt Aikens. So a bunch of kind of I guess, role players that you can figure there are backup players in that sense too. So my question for you, Ian, was I had three categories. I wanted you to put these guys in for me. Which of those guys to you is obviously out of here? And also, if you can tie in guys from the roster that are not free agents that are obvious cuts, I would really appreciate that too. Yeah, so sure. So I think the, the obvious outs are going to be looking at like Jay Cutler, um, Nate Allen. Um, I'd probably look, I mean, Koa Misi is an obvious one as well. Um David Fales is probably out, although it sounds like Gase liked what he saw in the last game, but I don't really know that he's going to be a guy that they're going to be like, oh, we have to re-sign him before the, the free agency starts. Uh, maybe he's just a guy that they bring back uh, at some point if they acquire a different quarterback. Um, 
Mike Hall is another guy. He might be kind of interesting. He's he's not a true unrestricted free agent, so maybe they just tender him. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that they look to really extend long term. Same for Anthony Steen. He's kind of in that same uh, mold. Um, I think that's about it for like definitely not back. It's it, there's no one really too much that you're going to look at and say like that person just can't come back. They're just terrible. Um, so that's kind of a good thing. Unlike the other end of the spectrum where like they have to come back. I wouldn't consider any of these players non-replaceable. I think that obviously, like you mentioned, the, the big one's going to be Jarvis Landry. Um, Damian Williams is another guy that would be nice to bring back. Um, but that kind of slides into the middle category where it's like, I would definitely engage some of these players um, to see what they want as far as money to return. Um, there's a number of these guys that you mentioned, they're role players. These are the depth of the team. These are the guys that are a little bit of the glue of the team. Uh, when you need to build a roster, you have to have the sort of mid-level players at some point. You obviously need the stars to overtake them, and that's kind of one of Miami's issues is they don't really have the stars uh, to help these players get into the right role. Um, but there's a number of these guys that I would really like to see back on the roster. Terrence Fide, uh, William, uh, William Hayes, I think both of those guys are very... Uh, very solid players, not necessarily in a starting role, but if you can get them a handful of snaps, especially Hayes on a, on a short-term deal with Hayes, I think Fide's always been a guy who can use more snaps as well. Um, and and Fide, Fide looking with Walt Aikens, those guys are kind of similar. They're from the same draft class. They're both more of a special teams player. Um, but I like to see Fide get some more snaps uh, as this roster evolves over the next couple of years. I think he'll probably try to leave and get more snaps somewhere else. Um, but if Miami could retain him, I think that would be a nice under-the-radar uh, type of move, especially if they can get him some playing time. Uh, the rest of the roster, Alteron Werner, I think he'd be interesting. I think he played fairly well um, as a veteran who can kind of rotate in. He ended up having a little bit of a bigger role than expected because of Cordrea Tankersley's injury and Byron Maxwell being released. Um, I don't think that you'd want to play him as much as he played this year. Um, so he's a guy that you probably are going to churn and you're going to replace with another veteran, uh, maybe a guy like Ross Cockrell out of the, from the New York Giants. Um, but you want to stay in like a similar mold where it's a one-year deal, it's low money value, um, but it's someone that can play as a third cornerback, especially on the outside uh, with two young guys out there already. You don't really want to throw a ton of assets to that position. You don't need a star either. You're going to kind of roll forward with what they have. Um, and that would be about it. I mean, I think Fasano maybe on another short-term deal, if you want to bring him back, that's fine. Um, I don't I don't see much interest in Bushrod or Allen uh, and some of these other guys. So they don't have too much to bite off. Just the big negotiation with Landry is going to be their, their number one priority. Yeah, and you mentioned the fact that these guys are kind of the glue that holds the team together. And that seems to be the area the Dolphins have drafted well and kind of filled their roster out relatively decently over the years and they kind of have locked, lacked a little bit of that star power i know they have some big time names but guys that haven't really necessarily bit like top, if you look at the top of the draft for instance they haven't really had the big stars that have come that way so i agree with you there and you, you talk about terrence Fidey. he kind of reminds me a lot of Derek shelby a few years ago when he left for atlanta on a on a you know i guess a starter level type of contract not a huge one but one the dolphins weren't willing to give him so i'm, I'm really curious to see what happens with him and then you mentioned william hayes i think that's a guy that plays a position the Dolphins are, if they don't bring William Hayes back, they are going to really have to focus on finding a player in his type of mold that can be more of that kind of run defending, you know, left defensive end to come in for Cam Wake when he's kind of in those pass rush specialty roles. So I really look for William Hayes to be a, you know, a big target. I'm kind of regretting the fact that let that, that second year of that two-year deal uh, fall off the table there for him. 
Yeah, that was a little bit of an unfortunate side, but he made it clear that he wants to return. I don't think he's going to be a guy that breaks the bank, hopefully. Um, it's a pretty good edge free agency class, so hopefully that helps and keeps him in Miami as well. I would I would guess that he's going to probably return unless if someone loses their mind and, and maybe they you know lose an in-house free agent and then they panic and, and reach to grab him as a short-term fix. But, I mean, coming off of a strong edge class in the draft, and then coming up, going into a strong free agency with at the position that bodes well for Miami as far as being able to keep him. I think I just can't wait to see what happens. I, lo- I love the March and April times of year to see how the roster gets filled out. So really excited for that. And let's get into this last part of the first segment here and talk about the. I don't even want to call it the elephant in the room because everyone talks about it and everyone knows about it. But Jarvis Landry. I mean, you know, Ian. I know. I know you look at cornerbacks really closely, so you probably are, get a pretty good look at Jarvis Landry too. And I mean, I I love the guy. I have his jersey in my closet. I, I root for him. He's a fun guy to watch. He's obviously a big spark plug for the offense, but he's just so limited in the things he can do. So I really worry about the type of the contract that a lot of Dolphins fans want to give him. What would you kind of put as your, your limitations on in terms of how high you go on that contract? And what do you expect to happen with him as uh, the negotiation comes down to the wire here? Yeah, it's, this is a very difficult one because I think that he has probably more value off the field and especially more with like the fans. And as far as like, being the leader and like you said like the spark plug of the offense more so than he does like a skill set as far as like bringing a unique gift to the field um he's been in a tough role as far as production um he's basically treated as a an extended running back of the offense and that's not really his fault it's not his fault that Devonte parker hasn't developed into a true number one um idealistically you would have Parker and Stills as guys who spread the field. We saw this with Tannehill, especially in 2016 as the season progressed. As Jarvis Landry became less involved with the offense, he became more efficient and he came, became much more um, productive as far as with his touches than what we'd seen in years past, especially under Philbin, uh, where, they, where they were just giving him the ball you know, two or three yards on a crossing route, and he was having to try to create things with that. And we still see it with Gase. Um, but this this year's offense, I'm kind of throwing out the window a little bit. Um, and then it's just hard to count it the same. So it's difficult. I think if you look at the production, I don't think Landry is going to be really worth close to anything that they're going to be willing to pay him. And that's not truly his fault. Um, but that being said, he's not going to be a number one receiver. I don't even think he's an ideally a number two target in an offense. And that includes the running back. I think that you'd want to run the ball more than you'd want to throw it to Landry. Um, and I think that this offense is going to get to that place if they can stay healthy at quarterback. So how much do you pay a player like that? I, I think his value probably lies in like the $12 million range, uh, $12 million a year. That's drastically less than number one receivers are getting. Number one are getting like $14 million a year and up. Um and I think even 12 is going to be pushing it, but I think that's pretty fair considering uh, kind of he's, it's kind of like an in-house deal. Um, if he doesn't get to an unrestricted free agency, that would make sense. Also with the no state taxes, like it's beneficial for, for everyone around. He's going to continue to get numbers. Um, so I think that that's going to be where Miami would like to be. That would make sense because I think they're going to kind of approach this more like I would. Whereas Landry's going to look at Devontae Adams' new deal where he's yeah. getting $14 million plus a year, and he's going to probably shoot for that because he's in the same draft class. He's technically been more productive. Um, and I don't know that that's fair for Miami because like, Adams is on the verge of being a true number one, like breaking out. He's athletically a superstar. 
Um, he played extremely well with Aaron Rodgers out, and he can just do things that Lar- that Landry's not able to do, and especially in the slot, those guys don't get paid like that. So it's going to be a very challenging negotiation. I think they're going to resign him uh, at the end of the day, but a lot of it's going to come down to he's now probably the number two receiver in free agency um, with Adams off the board with Sammy Watkins being number one and Watkins also has health concerns. So there's issues with that. And at least with Landry, you don't have that concern. Um, The Dolphins have kind of been, I think they've wavered back and forth on him, especially with the ejection and the constant penalties and the issues with drops. Um, We've heard from beat writers that like they weren't really in love with his um, lack of willing to stick to the system, not only on the field, but off the field. So that makes a lot of question marks. And to me, that says it's going to have to be at their price. Ultimately, even if he hits unrestricted free agency and he tests the market, it would surprise me if someone really is going to break the bank for him and guaranteed money. I think someone will offer him considerable fake money that he's unlikely to ever see. Um, but I, th- I still think Miami's going to be right there. I think they're, if the worst case, um, in the worst case where they still retain him is that they would let him go, let him test the offers, and then come back and say Miami's offer was actually more competitive than what I expected. And so, therefore, then it just comes down to how much he wants to stay versus how much he wants to go. Um, there's always the possibility of someone just going bananas and Cleveland or <laughs> San Francisco just saying, we have $100 million in cap room, and we don't care how we're going to spend it. We're just going to spend it. Um, you want to avoid that? I don't think Miami's going to let it get to that point. If they get to the, the last moment, I wouldn't be surprised if they franchise them and just worry about it next year. But um, this is definitely a complex situation, more so than I can remember in, in several years, specifically for this team. I can't recall a negotiation that's going to be more difficult than this. I, I laughed there a little bit because you talked about Cleveland and San Francisco, and that was exactly the point that I was going to make for you on my counterpoint, talking about how you know, letting him test the market might be the best way to go. But then, like you said, you run the risk of him getting in front of someone like San Francisco last year who was handing out money like it was going out of style, you know, with Kyle Juszczyk and, and Marquise Goodwin and all the big deals that they handed out last year. Someone that just has to spend to get up to that salary floor and someone that, that sees Jarvis Landry as a good type of player. And I also worry about the fact that he's kind of a guy that where his reputation supersedes his actual ability, right? He's on the top 100 list. He's on the, he's, I think he was 18th out of all the wide receivers this year on PFF. And then, of course, the fan base, like I mentioned. But like you said, he's not Devontae Adams on the outside. He can't beat that perimeter one-on-one coverage consistently. He can't run the deep patterns you know, down the football field and make big plays in the passing game like that unless he's breaking tackles. So, I mean, unless the Dolphins can find a way to you know, position him at running back and then give him a franchise tag there and kind of lower that salary. That'd be kind of nice, but I don't see that happening. So, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one for sure. And, uh, we'll get back here with more or more with Ian Wharton here on the Dolphins, uh, off season plans and talk about our defense a little bit on the lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at NFL film study. We'll be back to talk about the Miami Dolphins defense and their scheme here on the lockdown Dolphins podcast. Back on the lockdown Dolphins podcast, Travis Winkfield joined by Bleacher Reports, Ian Warren, Ian Wharton, excuse me, and I want to just go ahead and ask you, Ian, there's a couple of players the Dolphins fans kind of got sick of this year in terms of their production versus their salaries, and that, of course, was Kiko Alonso and Andre Branch, two guys that the Dolphins gave big contracts last offseason. Is there any possible way the Dolphins can get out from those contracts? So, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to this offseason. Those are going to be guys um, that are, at the very first chance, are going to be a 2019 cut, and I would expect both players to be gone. Um, at that point but unfortunately 
Uh, no, because the way that their deals are structured, uh, they basically guaranteed the first two years of their deals. And I wouldn't be surprised if Miami really starts to cut both of their snaps next year in anticipation that they'll move on um, after the, the 2018 season. Unfortunately, it's just it was one of those moves where they they had the right idea of let's reward players from within. Um, I think that that's smart. But what they didn't hit on was the evaluation and what they didn't hit on uh, was valuation, the correct valuing of their in-house free agency. There was no way either of these players were going to get these deals on the free agent market. Um, so it, it, their quote-unquote breakout years weren't even really breakout years. They were just decent years, especially in the case of Alonzo where he's forcing turnovers. That's not really a sustainable model for a guy who doesn't have a history of it. Um, it's not like he's a cornerback who's racking up interceptions every single year. So um, it's difficult to blame them for the strategy but it really ended up backfiring with these two guys specifically. So unfortunately you've got at least another year with both. And my guess is after next season, you'll see them move on from these guys. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think the dolphins have such big needs at defensive end, as well as linebacker. When you consider the resources they invest into it, this off season, you have a first round draft pick in Charles Harris, you go out and trade for William Hayes. That wasn't a lot of assets given back, but still that they obviously made it a point. And then the big contract for Andre branch cam wake is what he is. And you have, Obviously, the linebacker position with Lawrence Timmons, who likely is going to be cut. Kiko Alonso, the big contract. And here we are, you know, second-round draft pick, Rayquan McMillan. And here we are needing, you know, several bodies at both spots just to fill out a roster. So, tricky there for the Dolphins' defense. And, you know, that's part of the reason the Dolphins' defense, I guess, they took a minor step forward, I guess, from the previous couple of years where things were really, really bad. But a lot of the games, it wasn't even close. So, the big talk with Miami and Matt Burke and the kind of the scheme in Miami right now is talking about the addition of possibly bringing a more defensive backs onto the field to kind of mitigate that problem with the lack of linebacker linebacker depth that the Dolphins have. So in your estimation, will the Dolphins coaching staff kind of shift to more of a you know versatile type of scheme rather than just continuing to try to shove a round peg into a square hole? Or will they make a shift to making bringing on a player that can excel like in a dime package? And who might that player be if they, if they decide to target one of them? Yeah, I think it would probably be a good idea to start looking at new strategies. Um, that what the key question is going to be is if they can land a solid linebacker to pair uh, with Alonzo and also with McMillan, then I think that maybe they're going to stay with what they've been doing as far as staying in base formation and just going or just going with nickel packages as far as opposed to dime packages and avoiding the five defensive backs. It's kind of strange because the roster was kind of set for it last year, even with using Michael Thomas as the fifth defensive back or the sixth defensive back in certain situations like it's kind of strange to me that they didn't continue to do that more um they they stayed heavy they stayed big on the field and i don't know that that was necessarily a good strategy especially as tj mcdonald got back on the field like there were real opportunities to have three quality and versatile um, safeties on the field and they just seemed to to not have much interest in it so I, I don't really know if that's a philosophical issue or if they think that's more of a personnel thing and maybe we just differ as far as I would rather have Michael Thomas on the field than I would Kiko Alonso. And maybe they just felt indebted to Alonso because they gave him the contract and he played better the previous season. So there's a lot of questions with that. Um, maybe they review what they did this offseason and they look at it and say, you know what, we realized Kiko's only going to be here one more year, so let's make plans to kind of start changing this defense now. Um, if they want to go find guys like that, um, I think they'll have some options that that kind of money backer or uh, hybrid type of defender. Those are kind of 
in vogue in the NFL to an extent, but there's not a lot of extremely successful guys um, running around. There's not like a too many dominant uh, versions of that. So they're going to kind of have to get creative, either have to get a bigger safety or kind of a smaller inside linebacker. Um, you could see that with maybe like a TJ Ward type, uh, maybe even like a Kenny Vaccaro from the Saints if they really want to spend more money. I don't think they're going to want to spend quite that much. Um, Eric Reed from the San Francisco 49ers. It's another guy. He's kind of like Vaccaro. He's more of like a box safety. Um, but he's a good player if he's healthy, and that's kind of the same story for Vaccaro. Uh, maybe like a Tyvon Branch from the Cardinals. Um, an older player, probably a shorter-term contract. You probably won't have to guarantee as much money for a player like that. Um, maybe looking at like a linebacker, uh, that that's always kind of a tougher thing because good linebackers are very rarely available. Um, Christian Jones from the Bears might be in kind of a name to watch, but I don't really know that he's going to be a big free agent grab. He's kind of struggled as a former mid-round pick uh, to stay healthy and, and stay on the field. Um, Zach Brown, even from the Redskins, the team that uh, or a, a guy that Miami kind of flirted with last year, he had a monstrous year for the Redskins, but he's kind of been a guy that teams haven't really jumped at paying for some reason so maybe Miami gets reinvolved with that and he's more of a, a fast and, and rangy type of player not necessarily as a um, as a safety type of player but he could at least stay on the field all three downs so they're going to have a few options I think maybe you look towards the draft from that type of player I know that you've been looking at Derwin James um, I haven't really seen too much of him from Florida State. I haven't dug into the draft yet, but that wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it's a bad move. They just have to make sure that whoever they get can cover tight ends. Um, that's an extremely difficult thing to find uh, as a three-down player who can actually defend tight ends. So if they deem him or another player in the draft um, of that caliber and that potential to do that, then they, pr- they probably should target that type of talent because those are extremely hard to find in general. When you jump into the draft, Ian, get, uh, put on the 2016 Ole Miss tape for Florida State in that opener, and he was targeted, or he was ticketed with uh, guarding Evan Ingram a few times in the slot at tight end, and he did a pretty good job on him in that game. That was pretty fun to watch. So when you see Derwin James pop on that 2016 game against Ole Miss before he uh, blew out the knee. But, you know, you talked a little bit about some box safeties the Dolphins, you know, could could target to kind of fill that money linebacker role, and obviously they have a couple of guys that can, that can play the box safety in the strong side C gap and blitz off the edge and that type of thing, and... TJ McDonald as well as Rashad Jones. But, you know, one of the things I think the Dolphins struggled with this year was kind of like you mentioned with Matt Burke and we kind of talked about a little bit earlier is his inability to adapt his scheme. And so my question for you in your estimation, or I guess in the time you've been doing this with the NFL is do coaches tend to, younger coaches, they tend to have like a a learning curve that can they get better or is it just kind of a case by case basis or what can we expect with Matt Burke going forward? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there there can be improvement. Absolutely. The the question is how willing are they to look back and say, okay, I see that I could have done this better and then actually applying it. Um, it makes sense that a first-year defensive coordinator is going to struggle. Um, I think that the weekly grind, especially without a bye week, to sit there and reflect on what you did, that can was probably very harmful to the fact that they didn't have the time to sit there and do that. Uh, and review mid-year what they were um, potentially just doing wrong, flat-out wrong. Uh, but having the offseason to kind of look back, I do expect B- uh, Burke to go back and do that. Gase is very aggressive, I think, in general as far as um, addressing weaknesses, and we've seen that with a lot of staff changes this offseason. Um, as he's hitting year three, he's already make, he's still making changes to his staff, which is not unexpected, but I think it's a good sign that he's not willing to just stay stagnant, even if he is going to some faces that people may not be happy with because they're familiar faces. He at least knows what to expect out of them. And so because he's staying with Burke, 
that is potentially good and could potentially mean that as they enter next year, he's going to realize, you know what, I was too predictable pre-snap and I was not rotating players in the secondary or rotating situationally as well as I could have. Um, those are things that if they feels like he has the right pieces, those are fairly easy fixes. Um, it's just a matter of actually applying it now into game. So I wouldn't say I'm optimistic that he's going to improve, but I would say that there's absolutely the possibility that he'll continue to improve. Uh, I don't think there's, I don't think that you should ever get to a point and you're just stuck in your ways, but some coaches are like that too. So it is probably case by case based off the personality and ego that you're working with. But hopefully in this case, because Gase is, um, you know, continuing to trying to improve what Miami's doing. Hopefully that means that he's going to be uh, pressing his coordinators to continue to, to make changes. Absolutely. And real quick, Ian, before we go on to the last topic here, I want to talk about with you, you obviously are doing the cornerback handbook where you isolate cornerback play and really get a look at what these guys are actually doing rather than just using raw stats that don't really tell the whole story. And so while I have you on here, I wanted to talk to you about obviously the emergence of Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain, what Cordray Tankers he looked like. Just talk about the Dolphins corners this year, how they did in your estimation and what we can expect in 2018 from those guys. Yeah, overall, it was a year of growth. I think that's probably the easiest way to summarize their their season. Um, starting out at the beginning of the year, you would look at that group and you'd say, well, Xavier Howard for the first two-plus months was was pretty rough. Um, he was a guy that was very consistent. Um, and then he obviously has that very strong month to six-week span um, as we got closer to the end part of the season. And then sort of after those two very dominant games, especially on primetime television, um, after those couple of games, he, he dropped off. He kind of went back into more where he was before, where he was struggling a little bit more um, with the consistency aspect. And, and so my thing with him would be continue on that, that learning development, continue on that curve. It was great to see a positive moment for him and a, an extended moment, really, uh, because we needed to see that. Like It was getting to the point where he was struggling so much where it's like, okay, like this is this is now starting to be a little bit more serious of a concern. Um, you're going to live with those bumps as a first couple years in the, as a corner, um, but he was able to show that maybe it's his film study, maybe it's his ability to master um, situational plays for the opposing team, for the receiver, picking up on certain cues. It could just be an experience, an educational thing, where it's just he needed that exposure. It's not uncommon, but he at least showed for that period of time that he – improved for whatever reason so now it's gonna you don't really necessarily expect him to reach that every single week because even the best corners don't do that literally every week um except for the very 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 rare few and i don't know that he'll ever hit that but if he can at least be solid every week that's going to be great and for that stretch for like i said about six weeks he was solid and then he had two weeks of great play so that's really good as we enter his third season, which is when you're really hoping to see that big jump um, as far as consistency. Tankersley, from when he played, I was very impressed with him. I really like what he brought to the table physically. He looks like a great fit for what the team wants to do. Again, it's going to be with experience with him. It's going to be repetitions. It's going to be exposure um, to different level of players different types of players and mastering those situations, mastering how to uh, manipulate your body and manipulate certain angles to overcome certain limitations that you may have against faster receivers. But I thought that for a rookie, he played really well. And it was, he, if you want to compare to where like he and Howard are at, I think they're at very similar places in their development. So a guy already 
just at leaving his rookie year to already be at that type of level, that's great. Even if he didn't necessarily have the dominant weeks that Howard had, uh, I still think that when he wasn't tar- targeted, you really saw this was a quality player. So I, I like the outlook of those two much better than I would have even midway through the year, even like the last time that we spoke. This looks like a better group, um, even though Tankersley didn't necessarily even play much in that span. Howard's play definitely jumped, and I, and we we talked about McCain as well. I think McCain's kind of on like that same trajectory. It took him a little bit longer, um, but he's looking more like a solid player, even if he can be a slightly above average uh, slot week in and week out, which he definitely hit a groove for a longer period of time. Um, it wasn't necessarily elite, but he still played really well, and so that's definitely what you can, again, you want to see that in your third, fourth years. You have to see some sort of step in consistency, and these were guys that were hitting it. So I think the outlook compared to a year ago is way brighter. I don't necessarily think that there's a, a shutdown corner on this roster, but if you can have two solid B B to B plus corners, and then you've got a good slot who can, you can rely on to start making plays, which McCain started doing this year, then you're going to be totally fine with that unit. You're not going to have many gripes at all, and especially if they can bring in a vet, um, whether they retain Werner or they get a guy, like I mentioned, uh, Cockrell's a guy just, that just pops in my head for whatever reason. If they can get a guy like that just in case one of them goes down for an extended period of time, that's going to be a solid unit next year. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I feel like this team has a poten- or has the possibility to take a jump next year because they do seem to have a lot of those guys in the roster that you know, they're in kind of year two or three where they've, they've showed slight progress and there could be a potential big jump for them. You know, like if you go to the offensive side of the ball, like Laramie Tunzel in year three could take a jump. Kenyon Drake coming into year three. I mean, Devontae Parker is what he is at this point, but let's, uh, you know, maybe hopefully he can take a next step as well. Jakeem Grant, some guys on offense that can do the same thing as well as the guys on defense. So this is the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. Ian Wharton at NFL Film Study from Bleacher Report joining us on today's podcast. And we got one more thing we're going to talk about here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And breezing right ahead here on the last segment of Lockdown Dolphins podcast with NFL 1000's Ian Wharton of Bleach Report joining us here on the podcast. Ian, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, free agency is about two months out now, and the Dolphins have been relatively active the last several years. I mean, obviously not so much in the top end of the last couple of years, but still a solid five or six signings a year. And I was going to ask you, you know, free agency, we always make these predictions on certain guys that can go to certain places, but it's really kind of a crapshoot because you have to understand the relationships between those certain players and certain coaches that are on that staff, whether they scatter them at different teams or whatever it is, there's just like this kind of this union of people that know each other within the business. And that's kind of how guys get hooked back up. So I was curious to see if you had, you mentioned Ross Cockrell, but I was curious to see if you knew of any guys that really stood out on the free agent list at positions of need, the Dolphins might target coming up in March. Yeah, I I think for this, you know, I'd I'd want to switch over to the offensive side of the ball, specifically the offensive line. Uh, We know that that's been a big problem area for the Dolphins uh, for many years, uh, really for as long as I can remember. Um, But I think that they're going to continue to be a little bit more on the frugal side, although I don't know that they're going to be as frugal as they were last year. They may look at that and say, you know, what, we actually made a mistake trying to go as cheap as we did. Um, I, I think one guy that if we see him get cut, He's a veteran from Chicago. He's Josh Sitton. Uh, he's a very good left guard um, that, that used to play for the Packers. They signed him to a bigger deal. We're seeing some change in Chicago. There's been some rumblings, at least there were middle of the season, uh, that we saw that they could potentially cut him. He would be a guy that I think is an, is an instant impact type of player for one or two years, could be a target of this team. If they don't end up getting that break, which I think would be a very nice break for the team if he is cut, 
um, for whatever reason where it's a team that, that they've got the cap space to keep him. But sometimes we still see that. If they end up moving on from him, I still think that there's some good value offensive linemen if they're able to hit um, the unrestricted free agent market. Uh, a couple left guards that I'd be looking at, Denver Broncos, left guard Alan Barber. He's a guy that he was actually from Philadelphia. He was traded for a late-round pick uh, before this season. He went to Denver. He played decently in limited time, but he'd be a good scheme fit for the Dolphins. Again, Adam Gase, similar uh, type of system as far as the running the ball. Uh, we saw him go after C.J. Anderson. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to a system that he's familiar with and try to um, kind of incorporate someone that maybe has a little bit of upside that he may see there as a guy that just needs some playing time and is just a better better body than what they currently have, especially on a good uh, deal. He's coming off of a contract, $1.5 million. Um, so you're probably not looking at a huge price up increase from that, especially since it's not like Denver had a monstrous season. And he wasn't terrific. It's not like you're signing – um, Ronald O'Leary from from uh, the Cowboys last year. You're not looking at eight million dollars per year for him. Uh, another type of stopgap, more of an option. They actually had a, a chance at this guy as well, Alex Boone, the left guard from the Arizona Cardinals. He played really well. He did not look good with the Vikings when he was with the Vikings. He goes to Arizona. He looks like a rejuvenated person. He doesn't look completely like a hundred percent like he used to be a few years ago, but he looked much better last year. He was part of a unit that played a lot better. When they were healthy, I think that he could be a guy, $1.4 million last year. I can't imagine that he'd be much more than that. If he is, it's probably like $3 million a year, which was like Jermon Bushrod. Compare what the Dolphins got out of Bushrod compared to what the Cardinals got out of Alex Boone. It's no contest. So I think Boone is maybe like a one-year option. Could be very interesting as well. And uh, finally, kind of staying in like that same, a uh, little bit more of a cheaper guard option. We're going to go to the right guard position the Los Angeles Chargers, Kenny Wiggins, their right guard. He's more of a pass blocker than a run blocker uh, coming off of his, I believe it's his, not his rookie deal, uh, but it was a very short, it was a short term. I think it was a one year, um, $865,000 a year contract. Uh, so very cheap contract. I think he's a guy that could be available. He kind of fits the mold that they were looking at at right guard where it's more of a pass blocker instead of a run blocker a guy who's a little bit stronger than necessarily one who moves extremely well. Wiggins fits that mold. He's not going to necessarily be terrific as far as like being a run anchor, but you kind of rely on whatever they want to do at right tackle, whether it's uh, Jesse Davis or if they want to you know, bring back Juwan James, they're going to have to decide on that. But if they end up going uh, with the cheaper option, which would be Davis, um, it would definitely make sense to get a guy like Wiggins, I think, and kind of anchor those two next to each other. You could have kind of a, a fun one-two punch on that right-handed side where it's a little bit stronger than what we were used to in the past. Yeah, I tend to feel like they'll go more cheaper options right there just because of Gaze's history. And, and, you know, you talked a little bit about coaches adapting and learning on the fly. That's something that I could see maybe maybe he changes this year, but if he doesn't, it'll be back to the cheap options, <clears throat> excuse me, again for him on the guard positions on the offensive line. Once again, that was Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report, NFL's 1000. Ian has a cornerback handbook coming out, I mentioned earlier in the show, where he isolates all cornerback play and kind of gives us a great grade option on them. That should be out sometime in March, Ian's hoping for. So look for that at NFL Film Study on Twitter. Ian, thanks a lot for joining the show tonight, man. It was my pleasure, man. It's, uh, it's always a great time. 
He is Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report at NFL Film Study on Twitter, and it was nice of him to come on and talk about some possible free agents. And you guys that are kind of into the offensive line and worried about what this line has looked like the past several years, as well you should be. Hopefully he kind of quelled some of your concerns there in terms of some free agent targets and guys the Dolphins might target. So just kind of talking about the free agents and kind of want to give you guys an update on what you can expect from the Lockdown Dolphins this offseason. I, twi- I tweeted out a potential... Uh, tentative schedule for the offseason coming up this year and how I'm going to approach it. And I, I've done a lot of work in the past in the draft as well as free agency, but I always want to make sure that the guys are actually Dolphins first before I get too deep into them. I'll do some draft stuff here and there, but I'll leave that. I mean, the draft market is so saturated. You guys can find plenty of stuff there and I can kind of help you find that and, and kind of regurgitate some of the things I hear as well as give my own insight. But I like to really hone in on the Dolphins players that they draft and sign after the fact so I can do a really deep dive on that. So coming up first as we kind of wind on the NFL season here and get closer to the scouting combine. I'm going to finish up my Ryan Tannehill charting project going over his rookie season from from 2012 all the way through 2016 when he played his last season here with the Miami Dolphins and just kind of give you guys a stat line basis for how well he is on ball placement, some of the gifs he can produce for us, the highlight real plays, what he does poorly, what he does good, all that stuff for you in the Ryan Tannehill project. And also obviously the free agency film study that's going to be very, very in-depth with every one of the Dolphins new players they signed in March and forward going on from there as well as the NFL draft the Dolphins new crop of rookie players we'll have a deep deep breakdown on all those guys here this offseason on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast and that's going to do it for today's podcast be sure to subscribe to the show leave us a rating and review and check out the other Lockdown Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL follow the show at Lockdown Fins and follow Lockdown NFL at Lockdown NFL on Twitter as well as their Facebook page as well and check out LockdownDolphins.com with plenty of written content with my entire team pumping out stuff every single day. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.